Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. If you did not join us last week, please go back and listen to part one of Phoenix and Claire. Otherwise, I think that you will be a bit lost. When we left off last week, Sam had just arrived to collect Phoenix from Kim and Rohan's house. They are expecting her to return in a day or so when Sam tires of Phoenix. Child and Family Services has closed her file and they have no idea where she is at this point. When Phoenix wasn't returned to them a few days later, Kim tried phoning Child and Family Services uh, and the police, but because there wasn't a court arrangement and she had no legal right, uh, and of course Steve wasn't around and didn't have a phone, their hands were tied. But Child and Family Services should have known something was up because this thing called the Child Tax Benefit that pays a monthly sum to caretakers of dependent children. And only one household can claim the amount. And this little, there was a little handwritten written note added to Steve's file, which said, quote, Phoenix has been in, in Samantha's care and control since November 7th, 2003. However, the child continues to be on uh, Steve Sinclair's budget. Please amend your records to provide benefits to Samantha for Phoenix temporarily until the matter is confirmed in court, end quote. So now she's collecting the tax benefit for Phoenix, and that should have tipped them off that that the custody arrangement had changed and that Sam had some pretty significant and unresolved issues with her parenting. A quick check of case files would have confirmed this, but it wasn't until May 2004 when yet another referral came in, this time from an aunt of Phoenix's, who said that Phoenix was in fact in Sam's care and there were concerns about abuse and neglect. On May 13th, a social worker went to Sam's place where she was living with her new boyfriend, Carl, known only as Wes. He answered the door but said that Sam and Phoenix weren't home. 
So she's, this worker sent a letter to Samantha on May 14th that she wanted to see her and Phoenix, but it wasn't until June 2nd that she tried, she made any attempt to see them again. Uh, only in that time, of course, they didn't answer the door. Two weeks later, she sent another letter, and it wasn't until finally on June 21st that Sam phoned to arrange a meeting on June 29th. Uh, she called later to change the time and the date of that. And that next time she went to see them, they, of course, didn't answer the door again. And finally, on July 13th, she got a message that, from Sam. And so she, like, left her desk immediately to go see her. Despite other workers having classified the risk to Phoenix in Sam's care as high, this social worker listed it as low because there were no signs that Sam was abusing substances and Phoenix appeared well cared for. The inquiry reads, quote, I find the recommendation to close the protection file at this stage without having done an adequate child protection investigation to be indefensible, end quote. Had anyone bothered to do a background check on this West character, whose legal name is Carl McKay, they would have found a rather disturbing and extensive history of domestic violence. In one agency record dated June 15, 1998, noted had a lengthy list of convictions and charges dating back to 1991, numerous assault charges, failure to comply, etc., um, and had been arrested on three separate occasions for assault. In another document that was available on him, uh, say that the that two of the children of Wes and his ex were made permanent wards of Southeast Child and Family Services on August 18, 2000, this document was dated September 18, 2000, stated Carl Wesley McKay poses a threat to the children, both directly and indirectly in terms of his propensity for violence. But instead, Samantha's file was closed. Now, remember how Samantha was pregnant again with baby number four and that Child Family Services knew about this pregnancy, that Phoenix was back in her care and that she was living with this dude named Wes um, they all knew that, but nobody checked up on them. So when this fourth baby was born in November 2004, which was a girl, a uh, referral was made that the file be reopened for assessment and intervention. Only as usual, there were visits where Sam didn't open the door and unreturned phone calls. So instead of following up anymore, he decided to talk to a public health nurse to see if she had been to see them and if she had any issues. Uh, then they would close the file. Now, remember, a public health nurse is basically there to assess any breastfeeding or newborn health concerns. It's not They're not there to assess if someone is adequately able to parent. So again, this file was closed as a no known risk. No one had actually seen, as in put in actual eyes on Phoenix in months at this point. But there was still a chance to have saved little Phoenix. Child Family Services received call after call about concerns over Phoenix's safety in the home of her mom, Sam, and this Wes, a.k.a. Carl McKay character. A foster mom had information from a foster, former foster child of hers that Phoenix was being abused and locked in her room when she would leave the house sometimes for hours, and he had heard from behind the door that noises that he found were concerning. 
but a review of her file wasn't done. And in the words of the social worker, quote, while locking young children in a bedroom is, it's not, it's not an uncommon thing. Sometimes kids, sometimes it depends on the level of parenting. Sometimes parents sleep in and kids are too young to be wandering the streets alone and have opened their bedroom door and gone out in the streets and are wandering around. I mean, it's something that we certainly don't go and speak to the parent about and the dangers of a child being locked in the case of a fire. But I mean, again, it's better to have a child. Is it better to have a child wandering the streets? I mean, we encourage parents to always be aware and care for their children and not have the need to lock a child in their room. So there were no efforts to contact the family made until March 7th, 2005. But the back and forth started again with the don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, until finally a social worker was able to get into the apartment. And when that worker got there, all he did was take all of Sam's responses as truthful. That she had yelled at Phoenix a few days earlier and was surprised that someone had heard. Um, he fully admitted that she was likely being locked in her bedroom and figured it wasn't really a preferred method of discipline, but wasn't requiring protection. Quote, it could be that she's getting a timeout, end quote. He didn't ask any questions about the lock on the door. There was a child there that day, but it was not Phoenix, and he took Sam's word that like, she didn't need any help with her parenting. Based on his observations that she appeared to be doing well with the younger child, he didn't remember whether he was aware at that time that Sam had a history of declining offers of support, um, and he testified later that he couldn't recall whether he ever asked to see Phoenix, um, and he didn't record any information about Phoenix's whereabouts in his notes. After his visit to the apartment on March 9th, 2005, his recommendation was that the file be closed, and that was recorded in his report. Shortly after Sam and Carl with Phoenix leave their Winnipeg place and move to Fisher River without a word to anyone, well, maybe not anyone, she did make sure to let the child tax benefit people know that she had applied for Fisher River First Nation band assistance money listing Phoenix as one of McKay's children. And then Carl's ex-wife or partner or whatever we call her, we'll just call her Jane, uh, with whom she had two sons. Now, one of them was 12 at the time, and she decided for whatever reasons that it would be a good thing for her son, who was never named in the documents due to his age, so we're just going to call him John, um, to move in with Sam and Carl. Um, so that was in April of 2005. Uh, so Phoenix would have just turned or was about to turn five and she would never live to turn six. On the very day that Carl came to get John, John said, quote, she, now he's talking about Phoenix. She looked like she looked rough, man. She looked all beat up and shit, like she didn't look like when I first met her. Now, I mean, she's just like all skinny and whatever. She just didn't look the same, end quote. In May 2005, Sam learned that she was pregnant again, this is baby number five. I think I've kind of lost track. So now the family is living in Fisher River, and there is this the intertribal child and family services located there. And shortly after they arrived there, a woman named Florence Bear saw Phoenix in the back seat of the car parked outside the corner store. And when she asked whose child that was, 
uh, Carl, a.k.a. this Wes, said that it was Sam's girl and that she was, quote, too ugly to be my child, end quote. And remember that Carl's 12-year-old son, John, came to live with them after they had moved to Fisher River. Now, he becomes a very important at this point because he this is first-hand witness to what happened to Phoenix. When John first moved in, Phoenix had a bedroom just to the left of the front door, but about two weeks later, she was moved by Sam and Carl to the basement, and she would be made to stay there for most of the time, only let out occasionally. Now, imagine a five-year-old in a cold, unfinished, dark basement alone for hours at a time. When she was let out, John said that she was yelled at and called all kinds of degrading things that little Phoenix probably didn't even understand, but knew they were not nice. And she was barely fed. John would try to sneak her food when Sam and Carl were out of the house. He witnessed spankings, which, of course, escalated to Phoenix being hit with a pole, a broomstick, and once the handle from the fridge. He also witnessed Carl stomping on her, and one of Carl's favorite games was to shoot Phoenix with a BB gun, and also a game that he liked to call Choke the Chicken, which consisted of him choking little Phoenix until she lost consciousness. Now, Sam preferred just to use her fists to hit Phoenix and force her to eat her own vomit. During the three months between April 2005 and the day Phoenix dies on June 11th, she was subjected to this madness and unbelievably cruel and heartbreaking treatment daily. As in every single day from the time she woke up until every single time she closed her eyes to sleep. On the afternoon of June 11, 2005, John, who remembers only 12, was terrified listening to Carl beat Phoenix down in the basement while Sam sat on the basement steps to watch or supervise or whatever her excuse is for a full 15 minutes. Imagine beating a five-year-old for 15 minutes. John was peeking from around the corner of the stairway in that terrified, fixated stare when you just can't believe what you're seeing. Finally, after Carl was tired of it, John, of course, ran away to pretend he hadn't been watching, and Sam and Carl came up the stairs and they said they were going to Carl's dad, so John's grandpa's place, to have some pie and check up on him. Some pie and check up on your dad after beating a five-year-old. How wholesome. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So John, um, like a complete child himself, has just witnessed this horrific beating, and they come up the stairs, like, okay, we're just off to have some pie at Grandpa's. Can you watch the baby? Well, of course, after they left, John flew down the stairs to check on her. Phoenix was laying pretty much in the middle of the basement floor naked, which no one spends much time on the fact that she was naked, which seems strange to me. John gingerly reached out to touch her and discovered that she was cold, and when he put his hand over her mouth, she wasn't breathing. So panicked, he ran back upstairs and called over to his grandpa's house, saying he needed to talk to his dad. He told Carl that Phoenix wasn't breathing, and he just said, okay, cool, we'll be home in a bit. I mean, probably not those exact words, but certainly what he didn't freak out. So when Sam and Carl came home, they brought Phoenix upstairs and put her in the bathtub and ran some cold water over her to help revive her. They did make an attempt at CPR, apparently. Now, remember, this is all through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy. Imagine, just imagine how traumatizing that would be. When they realized that she was beyond help, at least their help, calling 911, I guess, never entered their clueless minds, they wrapped her up in a yellow rain jacket and put her in the trunk of his car, Carl turned to, I imagine, a completely pie-eyed John, saying, quote, if anyone asks, she went to go live with her dad, end quote. Now, John was sent, unfortunately, only temporarily back to his mom, Jane's, in Winnipeg, but only for, like, the weekend. And after that, John and his older brother, who was 14, were picked up and brought back to this house of horrors, and John noticed then that everything had been cleaned up and the basement had been painted. Allison Cakewash, who was all who also lived in Fisher River, came by the house a couple of days later, knocked on the back door and let herself in. Remember, it's a small town, so that's normal. Sam was at the computer crying, and Carl was going up and down the basement stairs. Uh, she thought that both those things were pretty odd, as Carl was usually pretty lazy and just laid around in bed mostly. And when she asked where Phoenix was, Sam said that she went back to visit her dad because she was too bad. And after Allison asked Carl why Sam was so upset, he just said that she was having a bad day. Um, he kept, <laughs> She kept her visit short because she was getting some pretty bad vibes, um, but she accepted what they said at their word. John's mom, Jane, kept in touch with John by webcam every once every few weeks, and they would also talk on the phone. After Phoenix was killed, which she didn't know about, um, to her it seemed like he looked scared and was always kind of in a hurry to get off the computer. He did tell Jane, his mom, that Carl was mean to him and that they spanked and hit Phoenix, um, and that she was often locked in her bedroom. And he asked if he could come back to live with her permanently. So Jane did call Child Family Services, but she was told that everyone was on holidays, and she thought that somebody would get back to her about her concerns, but no one ever did. In that same July, the Intertribal Child Family Services received a call about the care of the two boys, John and his brother, 
so two social workers came out, Madeline and Violet, to investigate and called Jane that the boys were going to be returned to her. And Violet noted in her report that there were signs of a little child had been in the basement, but nobody mentioned or asked about that. Throughout the summer of 2005, Sam's aunt continued to ask about Phoenix. In fact, she says, quote, every time I saw Samantha, that was the first question out of my mouth. But she wasn't satisfied with Sam's answers that she was with her dad in Ontario. So in mid-August, she contacted Child Family Services in Manitoba in search of information about Phoenix. So she said that she would phone Child and Protective Services, give the information that she knew about Phoenix, said that she hadn't seen or heard from her and was concerned about her, and at least try and get some kind of knowledge about where she could possibly be. Uh, but she was told by them that no one had heard of her, they couldn't find her in the system, um, and so she was eventually led to a work, one worker named Stan Williams, and she said that she contacted... Stan and told him that she was Phoenix's aunt by marriage and that she was looking for Phoenix. And Williams told her that because she wasn't a blood relative, he could not disclose any information to her. And he told her his last words were that Phoenix was doing fine and well. But someone at least took that information a little bit seriously because on August 24th, 2005, a variety of child and family services searches were conducted by a number of different workers, um, but just by plugging the name into the system. No one, there was no in-person searching, nothing like that done at that time. In the fall of 2005, Sam and Carl and the one baby um, that they had custody of moved back, back to Winnipeg. Oh, and she was pregnant again at this point, FYI. On February 28, 2006, Jane took her older son, who was just known as Doe Number 2, to a walk-in clinic, and in the waiting room after seeing the doctor, um, her son told his mom that his dad had killed a little girl. Uh, he told her that he was not in the house on the day that Phoenix was killed and that he did not know that she had died until his younger brother John had told him about it after they had returned to Winnipeg. So, of course, this obviously kind of freaked Jane out, to say the least. Uh, so when she got home, she talked to John, and John was initially mad at his brother for telling what had happened because he was he was quite terrified. And so Jane called the Intertribal Child and Family Services right there and then, and John said that the reason he had finally told his brothers that when he visited Sam and Carl at their home in Winnipeg, um, Carl appeared, he was putting a table together and he said that Carl smashed the baby's hand with a screwdriver. And after seeing that, he said like to himself that I'm not letting this happen again. And so he told his brother his older brother, about Phoenix's death. But so this was nine months after little Phoenix had been killed and not seen or heard from. And the Intertribal Child and Family Services did contact the RCMP, thank God. And they finally did put that part right, and they that was taken very seriously. Now, Corporal Robert William Baker was the lead investigator assigned to the missing person and homicide investigation of Phoenix Sinclair. He contacted Corporal Ken Ganeel out of the RCMP Fisher Branch Detachment 
Um, and he wasn't aware that there was anybody missing in the community. So then he checked with the Winnipeg School Division and learned that Phoenix was last in its system in September 2004 and only for a month and not since that time. That same day, he also checked the Canadian Police Information Centre database uh, to try to determine the whereabouts of Carl and Samantha and Phoenix. Now, there was no results for Phoenix and Claire. There was nothing in the system on that or the child protection system that she was reported missing, and there was nothing like that. Um, and nothing about Samantha, but there was for Carl and what and the three convictions he had for assault and of course the other convictions for failing to comply with court orders that kind of thing uh, so then he contacted the child protection branch to determine whether they had any involvement with phoenix and was advised that they were going to look for her file baker said quote it's unfathomable that kind of abuse would happen and no one would know about it that this could happen over that period of time, it was unimaginable, and that led part of me to hope that maybe it wasn't true, that we could still find her. On March 9, 2006, the investigators at the Employment and Income Support, remember that little child tax benefit payment, they told Detective Baker that Sam and Carl had moved back to Winnipeg and that they were collecting provincial welfare and claiming Phoenix as a dependent. So on March 10th, 2006, two of the welfare investigators went out to meet Sam and um, Sam and Carl at their apartment to see Phoenix. And they said that she was staying with her aunt, Norma Sinclair. They did not believe her, so they insisted on seeing Phoenix that day. And so Sam agreed that she, okay, I'll go get her. I'll bring her to you at this Portage Place Mall. Now, Sam showed up with her friend Stephanie Roulette, who was posing as Phoenix's Aunt Norma, and they used um, Stephanie's little girl named Princess to pose as Phoenix, but she was about three years old, and at this time they were expecting a five-year-old girl. She also slipped up and called Stephanie Mummy in front of the investigators, and so the police stepped in and arrested Samantha for the murder of Phoenix Sinclair. Carl was arrested at their apartment that later that night, so this was 72 hours after getting the call that there was a missing child. Child Family Services couldn't protect this child in her five short years on Earth, but Baker was able to get some justice in at least 72 hours um, after trying to locate her. There's um, a couple things that we talked about that I'm a little bit confused on, though, because I, I feel like I kind of have two different stories about it, so I want to make sure I got it right. The part that you and I talked about that day... Uh, when Phoenix died, you were telling me about what you think killed her in the basement. Um, or that the day that you guys were at home when Phoenix died, before you went to Wes's dad's she house. Was, she was okay. She was breathing. But when I had asked you about what it is when that you think came, killed her. Yeah, when we came back, I said it looked like she, she choked on her puke. So they said, that looks like me, that she might have died from choking on her puke. There was a puke spot there. But then you also talked about Phoenix being thrown across the floor, or thrown onto the floor, banging her head. 
Yeah, that was the day before. Okay, so that's where I'm confused about. As what day, what thing happened? We know she died on June 11th, right? Mm -hmm. So on June 10th, what happened that day? That's the day I was pushed her. She banged her on the floor. Okay. That's what I said. She banged her head on the floor. Right. Was pushed her. See, I thought you said that that was the day that she died. No. Okay. So this is why I want to talk to make sure I've got it right. That's when he threw her and she hit her head on the floor. Okay, so what else happened that day? So did you hit her with that that thing that day, the same day that he pushed her and she hit her head? Day did that you was hit a different day. I don't know what day that was, but that was a different day. I know that wasn't the day before it died. Okay. It was just a different day. Before you went to his dad's, what happened in the basement? I need you to talk to me about that again. Nothing happened in the basement. There's nothing that happened. She was, she was breathing. She was all right to me when before I left. Okay, so she was she was laying there, yeah, but she was breathing. And when you say she was laying there, where was she laying? On the floor. In the basement. Yeah. Okay, and that's the last time you saw her? Yeah. And how do you know she was breathing? Because I checked her. Okay, what, why did you think you had to check her to see if she was breathing before you left? What had happened? Because I, I always checked on her. I just checked. It was just something like, I don't know why, I just did. So was there anything wrong with her on June 11th? that would make you think that she was still hurt from the day before? Because Wes said she wasn't hungry, hungry or, she couldn't, or she, couldn't come up, she couldn't come upstairs. He said that he asked her to come upstairs. She said she couldn't come upstairs. Why couldn't she come upstairs? I don't know. He didn't say why. She didn't say why, he said. All you said was that she said she couldn't come upstairs. So when you said that you went to check on her... Yeah, when I checked on her, she was okay and breathing. Now she was breathing, but was she beaten up? Was she hurt? I think maybe she was hurt. Okay. And she was okay though when I looked at her. So are you telling me that nothing happened in the basement that before you went that... Nothing happened to her in that basement on June 11th? I'm telling you the truth. I didn't beat her. Did somebody beat her that morning? Or earlier in the day, before you went to his dad's, did somebody beat her? Oh, yes. Yeah, I said Wes beat her, but I didn't say he beat her that day. I'm talking about the day before. Okay, I want to know what happened that day. I think he told her to have a shower that day. Not sure. I never, I never hit her though. I didn't hit her. Was Wes downstairs with her before you left? Down there with her. And what was he doing down there? Not sure. That's when after he told me that she didn't want to, and she said she couldn't come upstairs. Okay, so he was downstairs with her. He came up 
And that's when he told you she said she can't come upstairs? He said he asked her to come upstairs and eat, yeah, to eat, and she said she couldn't. I didn't think anything. So maybe she was just too lazy or just tired to, or she just didn't want to. Okay. Because that's what she, sometimes she wouldn't want to eat, sometimes. Did you see her again after Wes had come up and said, you know, I asked her to come and she says she doesn't want to? Did you see her again after that? No. Okay, so then you guys went to his dad's? So that when you got home, what is the first thing you did when you got back home? Went downstairs. And what did you see when you went down there? She was laying there. Um, how was she laying? She was laying on, she was laying on her, her back. Okay, did she have any clothes on? No? So when you guys went down there and you found her naked laying on her back, is that when you said that Wes tried CPR? Okay, and then that's when it got into where you, you went to get garbage bags and you guys wrapped her and we talked about that already. That, sorry, go ahead. Well, we, we did like, like I told you, we didn't wrap her up right away. We didn't wrap her. So how long did you wait to wrap her up? Like I think you said before it was maybe a couple hours, right? It was something that wasn't supposed to happen. Phoenix, she was in your life, right? Yeah. She was in your life. Did you mean to do that to her? Did you mean to go that far? Did you do that on purpose to her? Because if you did that on purpose, I can't understand. I can't understand. Did you do that to her on purpose? Or was it something that was beyond your control? Was it beyond your control? Nobody controlled it. Nobody controlled it? Who controlled it? Who controlled it, man? Who controlled it, man? She didn't have to do, she didn't, she didn't have to die like that. Harry, do you agree? It's horrible, eh? We know what happened, we know what happened. Why did it have to happen? And then I tried to save her. <laughs> I tried to give her CPR. Yeah. And what happened? Put <laughs> her No. <laughs> that made a big mistake. I got paid for it, so. What, what was it that set you off that day? When did this happen? Uh, I, I'm just thinking back to yeah. what my mother said. You take your time. She said, try not to get too involved in this relationship with Samantha. Yeah. How come? She was right. How come? Because she knows, she knows her mom. Okay, your mom knows Samantha's mom? Samantha's mom. Yeah, who's that? Uh, her name is Bertha. Yeah, okay. Is she up in shoulder or No, I'm here in New Yeah. Okay. You know, when, when I first told her to come and stay with me, and, right. you know, I didn't even know she had a, had a kid. You, know? oh, you didn't know Samantha? No, I didn't know she had a kid. Oh, really? Okay. Next thing I know, you know, she, I go to her mom's and her kid's there. And, right. Is and, that Phoenix you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't very uh, good with her child anyway. Samantha wasn't? No. No, how come? Then she'd get me and, you know, tell her to shut that's not her. Tell her to shut the hell up, put right. it in the corner, or whatever. Right. There was all this amount of starting with this kid. You know, the biggest mistake was this. I mean, I can't say that she moved in the kid. The kid was like a mistake. Right. You know, she should have stayed with her grandparents, you know, and 
I, I just lived this life of anger, and it, you know, when when I found out she was pregnant, you know, that shocked me, and yeah, I uh, I tried so hard to you know, you know, keep her happy, right, you know, uh, but this tra- tragedy has totally uh, turned my life. I bet it has. It must be weighing thin on your nerves, eh? Since then. Sam, when you stand there, she's all fucking like, look like she's happy or shit though. Really? How did it happen? But I don't know what the hell she said to you guys. Yeah. Who is responsible here? You or Samantha? I don't... To me, that is both of us. It's both of you? Yes. How is it... How is it both of your fault? Explain to me. I don't know. She would always tell me to tell that kid to keep quiet. Okay. That day, was she telling you to keep the kid quiet? Uh, no, she was downstairs. I think at the beginning she was downstairs because we were going to go out okay. to, to go see my dad. Right. So she put her kid in the corner there. Is this in the basement? In the basement. Yeah. Okay, so she she put her kid in the basement because the kid wouldn't keep quiet? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. She, she, she's a mean mom. Right. Yeah. She had no heart. No way. So tell me, explain to me how it happened. She put her in the corner, and she, I don't know what the fuck, she came out of the corner. And then I got, yeah. Yeah. And then I grabbed it, I threw her on, on, on the clothes. There's a bag of clothes I threw on there. And I said, you know, listen to your mom, I said. So I, we went and we left. And then she told me, she said that this little girl wasn't breathing anymore. So we were after up and we went. We buried her. Yeah. Where'd you bury her? In the bush somewhere. Where? By the garbage dump. You be able to take me there? Yeah. Yeah. I just want this over. I know you do. I know you do. And you know what? You're doing a good thing. I know you do. You're doing a good job. I know. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. Hey. Hey. Let's worry about dealing with the stuff right now, okay? All right? Yeah. Did Samantha do anything to her that day? Yeah. She she always beats her up. How does she beat her up? She fucking hits her. Yeah. I tried so hard not to do it, you know. Tried so hard. So when we talk about who is responsible for causing the baby's death, was it you or was it her? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Where was Samantha when you were doing this? She was standing uh, standing on on the steps. My son watched me do this. Okay, so did Samantha witness this? Samantha saw it too. Yeah. She seemed to try to try to fight for that little girl. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we are leaving the garbage dump road, uh, and Wesley, Carl Wesley McKay, is going to take us to where Phoenix Sinclair is buried. Okay, so you've marked this spot yeah, here. Yeah. Oh, so, and can you mark where else it's going to be? Okay. About here. Yeah. How far off the trail? It wasn't very far off. Just here? Yeah. Because there's another trail right here. Okay. And we're, yeah, I think it was this spot here. Okay. Right Alright. So it's either going to be there or there. Which spot is it going to be? I think most likely here. Most likely? Yeah. Far in the, in the ground? ground? How far in the ground will she be? Approximately about eight inches. About eight inches? About that deep? That deep yeah. Okay. And uh, what you use, by the way? I use a spade. Okay. And what else? That's it. Okay, and where did you get those items from? Uh, I got it from uh, a cousin. 
I don't know if they still have this plate or not. Okay, what's the cousin's name? Uh, her name is Darlene. Darlene. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and uh, did anybody help you uh, burying Phoenix Sinclair? Uh, myself and Samantha. Okay. Samantha. He met. Is, is there anything else you want to say while we're here? You, this is your time. Yeah. Uh, I've done this for, for Phoenix to recover her body. Okay. Because she deserves a proper burial. How how will we find her in there? How will she be? She'll be face up. The uh, the plastic uh, is uh, wrapped her in plastic with a yellow uh, rain jacket. Her head being covered with the head part, and the rest of her body will be like. Okay. Wes, which fun. way? Do you know, or can you recall which way her head or her, he, head, her feet would be pointing? Her head here. Her head's here, okay. and then down. Where her, her feet? Her feet is here, and her head's right here. And is there anything else in there with her at all? Just the dirt you'll be covered with. In 2008, they were both convicted on all charges and both received life sentences with 25 years parole ineligibility periods by Justice Karen Simonson. The defense tried to claim it was manslaughter because, get this... There were no locks on the doors to the basement, and perhaps she voluntarily went down there to get away from her parents. And also, I guess the argument was that she was free to come and go as she pleased. A five-year-old. Just leave if you don't like it. Like, whatever. <laughs> like a five-year-old child. Of course, they appealed, and that was shut down. And by August of this year, so 2022, Sam has been granted a number of escorted leaves for medical reasons and to attend some counseling. Both of them were interviewed separately in 2014 by the Winnipeg Free Press. Both of them said that uh, what had been said about them was unfair, basically throwing each other under the bus. I'm not going to play any of those interviews. They really just kind of pissed me off listening to them. Um, saying that they didn't do anything wrong. But if you are interested, you can find them on YouTube. Regardless, they are both responsible for Phoenix's death and the Manitoba Child Welfare System created an environment where they were able to manipulate the system to have access to Phoenix despite not having any clue how to treat, care for, and not murder her. And that was the very painful and horrendous murder of Little Phoenix Sinclair. And that is also a wrap for season two of A Million Other Choices. I'm going to take a very short break. I'm going to be back soon enough with another season of Murder and Mayhem. As always, thank you so much for listening, not just to this episode, but for the past year's episodes. Thank you so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.